almost bobbled the snap. Now Farmers, and this one is intercepted, given a second chance. Benito makes the pick, and a takeaway of all things is going to seal a massive comeback victory for Oklahoma. Hello, and welcome to the Schooner Pod, and um, what the hell just happened? <laughs> what is going on right now with OU football? I'm your host, Bobby Howard. <laughs> with, with me, as always, we got Ty Lee here. Um, <laughs> How's it I'm going, still, everyone? I, I, I'm, I'm still not physically with Bobby, so when he said, what just happened, I thought that something happened, that, that we were taking a pause, so... Uh, but he's right. What what is happening? Yeah. What what is happening? Um, <laughs> what a crazy crazy weekend for OU football. I mean, I mean, it just it cannot be understated. Um, and unless you've just like woken up from a, a deep sleep and just found out or did, like don't know the OU score, uh, it just pulled off the greatest comeback in school history, coming back from down, uh, thirty one. Or thirty-one to ten, and uh, you know, I mean, they—they they, remarkable. What there? There's a lot to say about this. Obviously, getting down that much is very bad, but coming back is great. There's a lot of mixed emotions here, and um, we're here to kind of sort it out and uh, kind of think about this. This will be sure. We have Baylor TCU to talk about. We'll talk to uh, ex Baylor, ex TCU fan. We're not sure. He's he's on he's on some end of the uh, spectrum. Uh, Bowden Blake. <laughs> Bowden Blake will Bowden Blake will be on later this week, but with a game as big as that OU Baylor game, we just have to have to dedicate uh, its own pod to this. So, it, Ty, I I was yeah. in the I was in the stadium. When it, whenever you're in the stadium, you get a bit of you know dissonance with everything because you know you're you're there. It's it, a lot more adrenaline. You don't catch capture everything. What was it like being at home watching this game? Well, so quick, quick note first. Uh, the the actual metric for largest comeback comes from the twenty eight to three score. That's uh, true. So it was a twenty five point. Uh, Thirty one to ten was the score for for a good amount of time, uh, but that that would not have been the largest. So you're right. Um, you're right. Yeah, still impressive either way. But it was a uh, it was nerve wracking to watch on TV, but. It, because of you know how how everything goes with when you're watching something on TV the the announcers very heavily influence uh, your feelings towards the games and and there's all sorts of other aspects there that you don't get when you're watching it from the stands you're getting you know the close-ups on each different crowd and the players and the sidelines and stuff that you just don't get uh, while you're being there so you, you do get a little more situational awareness but it it did seem, um, you know, I wanted to believe. I don't know if I did, but it did seem that beyond that, you know, first twenty minutes or so, that from there OU was in control. Um, and it, I mean, obviously the the box score shows that, but it was just um, absurd what just the the bad luck that OU had but it, it very very quickly seemed to turn in OU's favor and then obviously we we saw they were able to march back yeah and, and a lot of a lot of people well maybe not as many I know I have uh, there's a lot of comparisons to be made between this and the Kansas State game and I think the biggest thing is having your your meltdown happen earlier kind of helped OU getting in you you could tell that OU team was completely different, mentally refocused coming out of yeah. halftime. That break was so uh, crucial to them. And I, yeah, I yeah. I would say that the momentum had already swung heavily to OU even prior to half. But I think you're right. I think um, how rapidly we collapsed initially is ultimately what enabled us to come back because we needed that time to come back. I think that had we collapsed to the same score um, a little bit slower, it, it would have been insurmountable for, for OU. But yeah. And, yeah. and one note 
note that uh, Lincoln made during his press conference um, this this week that just happened on Monday. We're recording this on Monday, obviously, as usual. Uh, he noted that when when they went down against Kansas State, he didn't feel like everyone was all in on the comeback. But this time he was like, there's not a single person who left that locker room not feeling like they were going to win that football game. And that, I think, is such a huge difference, is having yeah. that time to refocus, having that belief. And weirdly enough, that Kansas State comeback really has, I, I think, unlocked something in this OU team in a weird way. Yeah. Um, I, so naturally, I, you know, everyone just wants to reinforce their belief. So I... I would attribute the the buy-in to, like I was saying, it seemed to me like the momentum shift had already heavily swung towards OU prior to half. And I think that that's the difference between this game and the K-State game was people went into the locker room seeing that a lot of the momentum was back on OU's side and that they were able to outperform, whereas the K-State, everyone went in, you know, getting blown out. Obviously, the score was was uh, heavily skewed skewed against us in both games. But I think that that may have at least been a factor uh, there. Uh, and if you go back to K-State, it was only, a, I believe, a two-point game. Uh, get, uh, like, K-State was only only uh, up two. Uh, so maybe OU was a little more comfortable than they had been. There was a lot. There was definitely a fire lit under them. And I think the biggest thing to note uh, I, I think was the coaching changes, especially on defense. There was a lot more of them. Um, I well, not just not just did not 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 only did the defense look more fired up, fly, flew around more, but the scheme with putting a spy uh, to stop the Charlie Brewer runs, which was such a huge issue early on, was so yeah. key. Yeah, I and that's that's what I not to jump the gun and. Uh you know, spoil the surprise right from the start. But I I almost fully attribute this comeback to outcoaching. I think that that hands down, uh, more so than anything any one of the players was doing, um, this was this ultimately came down to our coaches being able to make the correct adjustments at the correct times. And uh, I'll you know, we'll dive into it a little bit more on yeah. defense but we i i really don't i mean you can look at some of the stats and argue this i don't think that we really outplayed baylor athlete to athlete too much uh but we we out schemed the hell out of them in the second half of that game you nothing that they were doing was working so. yeah definitely and it, it it was it was clearly just a totally different game i mean pure duality you know, not not to use too many cliches, but it was literally just a, a game of two different halves, two different ball teams out there. It was incredible. But let's four, let's, I, four different ball teams, I'd say. I'd honestly, say weirdly two, enough, two of each. Yeah, I think we saw the absolute best of Baylor and the absolute worst of OU, and then we saw the absolute. I I honestly think the absolute best of OU um, all year, and the stats really do kind of support that. Versus, I don't. Well, you could you could say statistically that's the absolute worst of Baylor all year as well. So, yeah, very interesting to see. It was it was a different OU offense too. And let's 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 start off with our talk about the OU offense and the duality of it by talking about yeah. the player who literally could not be any more confusingly polar, and that's Jalen Hurts. Uh, obviously, you know he he's had a very decorated and sometimes scrutinized uh run at OU and this is this is easily the one that the one game that really sums him up uh despite a lot of issues despite a a a bunch of mistakes here and there you know a lot of you know really kind of completely questionable turnovers um he I, I he pulled a Kyler Murray dropped the ball on the ground one of the ball what one of the fumbles just came out of nowhere um, and then, you know, the, the just terrible decision to throw the ball, you know, away, but not fully away. Um, I mean, he, he, let's be real. He was not great in that aspect, but I tell you, this guy can win you a football game. His I, grit, his determination, not giving up on that was so impressive. Here, here's my 
ultimate uh, Jalen Hurts take. I've been pitching this all year uh, sort of in a less articulate way, and I think that this game I'm going to use to prove my point because it was so different. I think that Jalen Hurts is a tremendous quarterback if he is put in situations that he can handle, and I think that, and a lot of people are going to argue with me, but I think that he, and let me let me caveat this before you reply. I do not think that he is a good fit for a Lincoln Riley offense. And and when I say that, I don't mean a Lincoln Riley run offense. I mean Lincoln Riley's style and what he can do when he is given the tools to do what he can scheme up. Jalen Hurts doesn't work in that system. And we saw that in the play calling in the first half of the game. And we've seen it in every other game this year. And I've hated it. And I've kept saying over and over, we can't be doing this. We can't be calling plays that would work with, you know, Kyler or with Bake for Hertz because he doesn't excel in those scenarios. But when we start play calling, when the, when the coaches start adjusting and when we start play calling and taking a lot of the decision-making out of his hands and saying, hey, we are running it with Brooks here or we are doing this and then shortening up those passes changing up the, the timing of those passes to where they're not scrambling or or rollout passes or they're not plays that are designed to have four or five different layers of of breakdown when we put Hertz in a situation where he can make short to medium passes from the pocket um, when he knows he's going to hand it off and he doesn't have to make that decision every time with an RPO to to watch everything develop um, I think that's where he really excels is when we adjust our offense to an offense that fits him. And exactly. I think that's what we saw in the, in the, uh, in the second half of the game. I mean, we had huge, long, tremendously well done clock management drives that were not drives play calling wise that you see usually with Lincoln Riley. They weren't the, you know, two or three plays to set you up for a big right hook of, 20 yards it was a it was a very consistent very methodical we finally slowed down and said you can't stop us from getting three to five yards of play this is what we're going to do and obviously we have some bigger ones thrown in there but that is my ultimate take on Jalen Hurts that I've kind of been pitching all year I feel like this one finally supports it in a way that more people will look at that and not just say oh that's a ridiculous take by Ty so yeah no I, I, I do agree, and I think in a way it's it's similar to what Grinch Alex Grinch does with Speed D. He simplified the offense, you know, removed that step of the RPO. I, I think that was so key. I, yeah, I like, love that point you made because because what 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 happened is in the first in the first half, you know, they were trying to run it exactly like they did, but you can't really run it like that when you don't have your home run ball receiver and CD Lamb there to produce well, those nuclear receivers. weapons. The receivers were doing great. I they were, they Hertz's stats are very skewed by how open the receivers were. Yeah, yeah. There it, were some there were some passes that were, had there been a defender there, they were terrible passes and maybe even interceptions. Yeah. But you had guys, you know, that we normally don't see were out there just wide open. It, um, yeah. And don't get me wrong, I'm not blaming the receivers. I'm just saying by taking away that, you know, you yeah. you, can't, you can't have. CD Lamb covers a lot of issues for Jalen Hurts because if he, you know, his first read is always going to be CD Lamb. Is he open? You know, what do I, you know, let, let's do that. If he runs an RPO, however, if you remove, if if you don't have CD Lamb, he doesn't have an instant guy to throw it to, which slows him down a bit. So removing the RPO, letting him kind of relax, see more of those guys open, spread the ball around was was so key because you could really tell a difference in that second half of. Uh, the variety of guys he was hitting, you know, how, how quick he was getting the ball out and the guys were getting open. The problem is Hertz just wasn't having a lot of time. Baylor was really blitzing early, uh, yeah. th- like really giving him a lot of pressure, especially when we were uh, starting th- those two possessions. We started out in the red zone after Baylor's first touchdown. Uh, and that pressure, you know, re- really did get to him, but, you know, remo- removing the RPO, which is Lincoln Riley's favorite toy to give up. She probably didn't like like that, but it's kind of, in a way, removing the RPO, removing that crutch of CD Lamb really kind of opened him up. And it's yeah. kind of it's kind of 
similar to uh, a theory Bill Bill Simmons have has of the Ewing theory, where you remove the star and the unit gets better. It's kind of like kinda that. that kind of see that with the Thunder this year, maybe. Exactly. Yeah. No, a, a lot of a lot of people are wondering if we're you in the theorying there. And I'm not saying CeeDee Lamb hurts the team at all. What I'm no. saying in what I'm saying is in that situation where they remove the RPO, they remove that crutch, it just it just opened everyone up a lot more. Here here's what I think, and, and this kind of ties into what both of us are saying. I I don't think that C D being out hurt us as much as people thought that it would. And I don't think that it impacted Hertz very much at all, but I think it greatly impacted Lincoln in the plays that he was comfortable calling. And I think that ultimately that led to us, like you're saying with the Ewing theory, led to us winning the game. I I think that maybe if CD was in the game, because this is another thing, how many trick plays did we see? That's Not- been something that, uh, like, Riley loves to run, like, multiple trick, like, elaborate trick plays a game against, like, nobody. So to see, you know, our biggest game of the year when we're trying to come back from a, a massive deficit and to see us say, hey, we've got all the time in the world. We're going to take this slow, methodical, we're going to do everything right instead of traditionally what you've seen from OU. And it's kind of worked, but it's been like we're forcing it is running all these elaborate trick plays, deep bombs to CD and all this other stuff. I don't know if we could have won doing that. I, I really don't know. And I, I'm not saying CD being out or CD playing would have lost us the game. No, but definitely not. I think that everything, everything that came together, maybe we wouldn't have even been down. I don't know, but yeah. everything came together very well. We just had to adapt in a way where we, we had to play our offense. We were the, for the first half, we were playing our offense. Like CD lamb was still there and expecting it to work. The second half, we were playing it the way we, we adjusted our offense to what our, our yeah. you know, personnel is and we all kind of thought that our offense would be a lot more methodical a lot slower before the you know before the season started and we hadn't really so- seen that you know come to fruition until the second half well that's, and, that's what i think is we've i think riley thought that we could force it and we kind of have been forcing it but i, I don't think that it is the most efficient way to run this offense with these personnel that we have which with a lot of very brand new linemen and with a quarterback that is very set into a completely different style of play. Um, it's just very, very, uh, you know, I, I, I yeah. wish, I, I hope that we continue to see this same style offense. I, I don't want an OU team that is out there either, you know, scoring or going three and out because we're just running crazy stuff. If we can have a team that goes out there and can put together you know, five to eight to 10 minute drives consistently in score. Um, that's, that's tremendous because that gives our defense the time that they really need. And, you know, I was yeah. very, very, very happy to see that offense. Yeah. And, and, you know, a huge point of that was the change in how we've been running. Cause most of those runs we've noted on the pod numerous times, come off of RPOs this time they were just going super downfield running either with you know Kennedy Brooks or um (laughs) Jalen himself and I've noted before I don't like Jalen running on designed runs much but you know desperate times come from come you know and you have to you have to take those and this was definitely one of those uh but what a game from Kennedy Brooks the guy went off very vertical downfield runner super impressive and it, it's frustrating because it's one of those things we we were clamoring for all season long, and uh, we. Well, I, I'm glad it. I'm glad we. I'm glad we got it because yeah. it didn't come this too late. Is, this is another thing I think that would not have worked previous to this game. So the offense being able to stay on the field super long wears down the defense, and obviously that is uh, beneficial to the runners. But I think another thing. And again, back to this play calling success, um, this ties in with our, you know, the assets that we have, our line as a whole being very fresh and very new. Um, I think that they are significantly less successful on run blocking and on pass blocking even when the defense has more time to come at them. So when we run those RPOs and those delayed handoffs and stuff, that is just giving the defense more time to get past our line or to push our line back 
and that's why us running the ball hasn't really been that successful in in previous games. Whereas this one, if we say, hey, snap it, hand it off, go, then there's less time for the defense to blow up our sort of inexperience. There's still tremendous line, but I, there's just so many factors that go into this. Uh, but offensively, outside of some individual actions by her, it's like you were saying, with just ridiculous turnovers and decision-making still, uh, there was not a whole lot to criticize. Yeah, it was It was really the biggest issues with OU came in the same way that they always come with, with this particular iteration of this team. It's just mistakes. Uh, we saw we we saw it against Texas. We saw it against Kansas State. Obviously against Iowa State as well. This this team is bad when they beat themselves like that. When it comes to inexplicably bad mistakes, uh, but that's I think that's fixable. I think that is fixable. Um, we even saw it a bit on special teams with a couple. Uh, you know, I, I believe there was a holding call one time, a clipping call another time. Mm, brought it, yeah, brought it, fine. brought it back within the fifteen. The, the, those are just drive killers before you even set out onto the field. And it, it's it, it just can't happen. Um, yeah, when you have a when you have a kickoff return down to the opposing ten, and somebody holds someone that wouldn't have even tackled the the runner, and you get it pulled all the way back to the fifteen, that is just crushing. Yeah, um, it, it it kills a drive. But which that that seems to be, this is something I wanted to talk about. How about these freshmen for OU? With yes. Of Trajan Bridges, who every time he touches the field, just gives the opposing team at least 15 yards, and then he gets pulled out. Uh, that seems to be his role. So hopefully he develops a little more. He had a he touchdown last game. Huh? He had a touchdown last game, at least. Yeah, I don't know if it balances out, though. It's kind of like the Zach Sanchez thing, where like he, he gave up seven points a game at a minimum, but he also got a turnover. Like Bridges is just his his uh help to hurt ratio, even with one touchdown, is not tremendous right now. Yeah, but, but I, no, the other I, freshmen were awesome. It was a really, really, really good day for the uh, 2018 Cruton uh, Corner listeners because a lot of these names you heard me and Jameson hanging up about all last season got to hit the field. And it was super exciting to see them play real minutes. And the guy who I was most excited about was Stogner. Uh, I've been hyping that guy up for a while. And we've known obviously, for a while that he's he's good though. Yeah, I mean, we, with with Calc being out, we've seen Stogner making big boy plays for for a while. I and we've seen you know big or nice plays from uh, the other freshmen. But uh, who was that? I think Theo Weiss. Theo Weiss. Theo Weiss. This game yeah. had some had some big boy plays like breaking tackles and and stuff that just looks super like beyond just catching the ball the oasis yeah getting open when it's you know not blown coverage like fighting to get open and actually just running a good route and out athleting the defender breaking tackles stuff like that he looked very good yeah the oasis uh touchdown he had where um it was right in that it was right in that uh that corner, um, right in that OU corner where he really just, you know, misdirection, you know, breaking tackles. It was really one of the most impressive, you know, yards after catch performances I've seen from a receiver. Uh, obviously, Stogner with the two red zone touchdowns were, was huge. Uh, and Hazelwood had a couple good catches. Yeah. The, the, the thing you really, I know there are a lot of OU fans on the, uh, name, not a lot of OU fans, I should say Gooners. A lot of Gooners out there calling for, uh, calling for Spencer Rattler. Um, but there was a lot, which I, look, I, I'm excited to see the Rattler as well. I'm excited to see the youth. Just look at those receivers and that, that's all the youth movement you need to see for this year. Don't burn Spencer's red shirt, but these guys, these guys are going to impact. He's, it's, Rattler's not going to stay for four years. So I don't think it, it, his red shirt matters at all, really. True. I, I think it's okay if he doesn't too. Uh, I mean, you, yeah. you just have I mean, to. You got, you got another five star lined up right behind him. He's not. He's not staying for for four years. I, I think his red shirt's irrelevant. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. You just have to be kind of careful. Careful, yeah, just in case. Hurt. I so, 
I will I will contend still that if we are going to play call like we have in pretty much every other game leading up to this, and like we did in the first quarter to the first half of the second quarter of this Baylor game, I think that we would we absolutely would get better results with Rattler. I think that if we play call continually like we did in the second half of this game, we'll get better results with Hertz and we'll get better results overall. But yeah, if we're going to run a Lincoln Riley style offense, I would pull Hertz and put it in a freshman Rattler. They probably know the system equally well. They've had the same amount of time. Well, not, not exactly. Actually, weirdly enough, Hertz has had a couple more months because Rattler arrived in the, uh, in the summer, but Sorry, that was a very well actually thing. I apologize, but no, um, no worries. But uh, I, I, I think that he, I forgot that he didn't uh, do what most of the players do. Yeah, he, uh, d- yeah, he, he um, didn't early graduate or uh, so or early enroll in in uh, the University of Oklahoma. But um, I, I don't know. I, I think really the maturity and you know the game experience. At this point in the season, you, you just you just got to stick with your guy. Hey, everyone. Before we get started, I just want to talk about our sponsor, Anchor. Anchor simply is the perfect place to go if you're trying to start a podcast. First off, free. That's great. But there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Super easy to use. Super intuitive. Uh, and then once you have that edited, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places uh, where you listen to podcasts. And when they're distributed, you can start making money from your podcast right away. No minimum listenership. Start getting that anchor money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one spot. So what are you waiting for? Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm right now to get started. Now, the Schooner Pod. Let's um, let's move on to the defense. What do you say? Yeah. Uh, what a performance from that defense. Uh, I got to say, first first half, we didn't look like we could stop them whatsoever. Um, Brewer and a crew and uh, our guy Mimsy, uh, Denzel Mims, just were picking apart OU. Looked like the exact same old OU defense. But in that second half, absolutely locked down one of the most impressive defensive performances I've ever seen in a half from an <laughs> OU football team. Just just look at these drives from Baylor well, in the second half. Yeah. One or one play fumble. Three plays punt, three plays punt, three plays punt, six plays interception, game over. That's incredible. Well, yeah, it, it's I, th- I think some of the credit goes to the offense again with the clock management. So Baylor ran three offensive plays in the third quarter. So Jeez. like obviously that's that's on the offense. So they they ran the one with the fumble and then they went three and out. Um, so I guess the I I watched this in an interview with with Matt Rule. So I guess he's counting the punt as a special teams play. Um, so uh, four four or five, however however much you want to say there, if you count the punt or not. I will say that the fumble was on like a twenty yard run. So let's not let's not forget that they got straight up exposed there and then lucky. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because had that dude not fumbled it, he probably would have broken that tackle too, uh, and that may have been game. So it was definitely one of those uh, we're going for we're going for the uh, turnover here. We're going to try to punch the ball out, and yeah. luck- luckily they did it. But um... well, and I think that Baylor has not been strong offensively, um, and I think that what happened was they did a tremendous job in their homework and in their game prep and in their film studies and everything. And I think that they came out because they don't really have a lot of tricks. They're not really that capable of doing a lot of stuff. And I think that they found, you know, a few tricks that they could do. And that was pretty much all they had. And they went out there and they made the most out of those tricks when they had them at the start. Um, And, you know, some, you know, just chance things went their way as well. And then I think that we were able to make some serious adjustments, realize what they were doing. And when we shut down those few tricks they had, we saw the Baylor offense that everyone else has seen all season. And it's one that has not been that great. 
Yeah. Like, we were really like we just the adjustments that we made were ridiculous. I as it was it sixty nine yards they had in the entire second half. Yep, sixty nine. It was nice for us, I will say. Very nice. 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 Um and I think that, that was the biggest the biggest thing is those adjustments and taking away the Charlie Brewer run game completely just plugged up that offense. <laughs> it, it made Brewer have to make tough decisions and think on the fly because the, I mean, the outside pressure was still there. That didn't change. The problem is you just had, you just had a linebacker stuck right there, ready to, you know, stop him. And the fact that we haven't run a spy, despite the fact that it worked against the Eric King, you know, worked against Ellinger in the Cotton Bowl, but we didn't run it against against Skylar Thompson pretty much at all, and we didn't run it against uh, Purdy. Was it's wild because it 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 works every time you have a running quarterback. So yeah. just 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 it doesn't hurt to stick a guy in there. I don't get I it. Think, I think our mentality is that our uh, you know our linebackers and then um. At least against quarterbacks, I will say that our our safeties not have not been bad, you know, when it comes to to tackling quarterbacks. But I think maybe our mentality is, hey, we don't want to. Our linebackers are probably our strongest piece. Maybe we don't want to dedicate, you know, sacrificing one of them instead of just keeping them open to to maybe make a play somewhere else. I I really don't know. I'm I'm not as as well versed in the defensive stuff as as I am in the offense stuff so but you could tell that it was uh you could tell that that we were very dialed in yeah it's just with with grinch with the grinch's system it's all out just like let's let's just go get them let's kill them but having that patience having that you know ability to wait i think is very helpful because that just it, it just it completely opened up that game for ou and i'll also say this for the corners a lot of effort based defense on their end, really smothering guys, you know, making it tough, you know, <laughs> but also not uh, doing P uh, pass interference. It was, it was nice because we we've, we've seen them play tight on receivers. We, we did it against Kansas state. Even they just took it a bit too far. Uh, then I, I don't know what they did to make it to, yeah. to avoid penalties, but they, uh, they certainly were a lot better about it than, than they had been well, in the so- past. I, I will say, OU had 10 penalties, uh, obviously with the, most of those being on the defense. Uh, one of them was a pass interference that, I don't know if you saw this in the game, but it was just absolute uh, bullshit. Uh, Mims had, <laughs> well, Mims had, I forget who it was, but he had the guy's jersey balled up in his hands. Uh, and prior to the ball coming, Mims pulled him down. And uh, whoever it was, it may have been Motley, was, like, waving his arms to get the ref's attention. And in doing so, like, kind of caught Mims's arm. And the ball, like, wasn't even catchable. And they threw a P.I. on us. And then I guess Riley didn't notice it or they wouldn't snap the ball too early. But they showed a replay, and it was, it was just the most blatant offensive pass interference that got called against us. Um, but I... It, there's still a lot of discipline issues on the defense, I think, but yeah, it was a little bit cleaner this game. Yeah, definitely. And uh, again, there are a lot of Baylor fans who, uh, I mean, they're, they, they have a funny uh, message board meltdown going on uh, right now uh, who are blaming, who are blaming the refs on their loss, uh, despite the fact that, they uh the penalty differential was significantly against us. They had one penalty the whole game. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, okay. That's I, absurd. I, will say, I okay, I will say there was um the play that OU went for it on fourth down. It was fourth and inches and Hurts like dove forward and got the first down. That should have been a fourth and two. That was one of the worst spots I have ever seen in football, and it went to OU's favor. You can't really blame OU for hurrying up and snapping it before someone realized, but that spot was absolutely atrocious. Had it got moved back, I think that OU would have run a different play and most likely still converted that fourth down. But if they're hung up on that one, because I don't know if you saw this in the in the game or in any discussions, um, but if 
if that one play is what they're specifically mad about, I don't blame them because it was absolutely atrocious. It was it was beyond clear that Stevenson was down two yards short, and they put it like right on the marker. Yeah, the Big Twelve refs are I, I've noticed are horrible at uh, at spotting the ball. It's been a trend I've noticed this season. It, uh, the the peanut gallery is yeah. nodding in approval. <laughs> it wasn't even like. It, yeah, it wasn't even like he fell forward or slid forward after being down either. Like, Stevenson was down, like, parallel to the thing. Like, not even – there was room for two people to stand in between him and the, the first down mark, and they just put it right on top of it. So, you hate to see that. Uh, but, yeah, they had one penalty, and I don't think that ball spot – it wasn't at that crucial of a time. I don't think it made a difference. Uh, so, that's a pretty – you know, people try to use that excuse every time. But when you have one penalty uh, and there's, like, one questionable call that went against you and, and there's multiple questionable calls that went against the other team, I don't really think you can, you know, blame the refs. Not only that, but that one penalty they had almost didn't even, like, <laughs> they almost waved it off. It was the, the defensive holding that they almost waved off for, uh, pat, they almost said no pass interference, conferred, and then gave it to you. So even then, like super narrow yeah yeah and then i guess maybe the only other thing you can get mad about is the uh the targeting that was reversed but that wasn't really even like our guy was standing there and the player got tackled into him so i mean there's not a whole lot you can do there and i think that's why that got reversed but i can't think of anything beyond that ball spot that baylor fans would be mad about and they got a, a PI that was called against us that gave them 20 yards. So I don't think that you can make that argument. No, not I, at I all. I think it, it came down to coaching and schemes. You know, the players, I think, you know, you put them in positions where they can succeed or not. And this was not a tale of one team's athletes being better than the others at all. This was absolutely a tale of schemes and coaching. And we did exponentially a better job throughout the game and that was able to to come back from our you know terrible mistakes yeah no for sure and i think i think there's something to be said about how resilient the team these teams are um no matter what they come back they've they've always been the lincoln riley's teams have always come back from you know getting really socked in the mouth uh, in a way that a lot of former OU teams I saw under Soups just kind of didn't do. They really, you know, they don't get their dauber down. They they fight back. We've seen, I believe, this is the fourth time I've seen us really kind of weather the storm and come back. Third time, or one, one of those times was Alabama, and that was, you could question whether or not that was actually a good game or a um, winnable game at any point towards the end, but a score was close-ish. But, um these teams fight hard and it's really admirable, I'd say. And, uh, you know, it finally turned out for, uh, it finally turned out that OU got back on the right track, got on the winning side of this. And it felt, it felt like redemption for Kansas state, um, yeah. which was great. Yeah, and I think, I think a lot of people don't remember that, you know, Lincoln Riley's developing too. He is very young, very for a head coach. Um, you know, you can make an argument maybe against this because of his playoff appearances and, and everything else, but he's relatively inexperienced still for a, a head coach, especially at that level. Only a I third mean, year. If you look at the other head coaches in the top 10, most of them have at least a decade of experience on him. Yeah. It is, you know, it's, it's crazy. Like Nick Saban has been coaching national championship college football team since Riley was in high school, maybe even before. Um, so it's just, well, yeah, Nick, Nick Saban's first national, uh, first national championship at, at, at Alabama. Lincoln Riley is still at Texas tech. Well, no, he, well, his first college football national championship was with LSU. Well, I meant like with Alabama. I was, I was specifically yeah. pointing out. I'm saying as Alabama. a coach though, like as a coach with experience, yeah, no, I, I, I see what you mean as in, in terms of national championship pedigree. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I mean, like it, it's just I think I think a lot of people forget that he like he's learning things as well. He's 
developing things. Granted, people are, you know, figuring out his schemes and everything else, but you get new players with new capabilities and and new stuff that that fits them. And he's he's still developing. He's still learning. Same with um, Alex Grinch as well, too. Like both of those, yeah, those are two young coaches. Grinch doesn't even have. I know this is something that a lot of other fans of other teams will say, but like Riley hasn't even had an opportunity to recruit and develop a quarterback. He had the previous two were Stoops recruits. Um, and this one is a, you know, I guess you, maybe you could, it's, he's a transfer, but Rattler's the first quarterback that Riley has recruited as a head coach and brought in to fit his system and what he wants. So it's going to be really cool to see because previous to now, you know, I mean, he's produced two Heismans um, and, and another, you know, statistically top five in the nation quarterback. So we see what he can do when you just hand him random pieces. And it's going to be really cool to see what he can do when he gets to pick and develop someone fully. Definitely. I agree. Um, yeah, the, and the, it's well, going to be really cool. The, yeah, the same goes for the defense. Grinch has not had a single recruit. Um, period pick for his system at OU and and granted defensively sometimes it takes a little longer to develop um the guys to get them up to size and get them up to knowledge and everything it's not like wide receivers can come and be pretty successful their freshman year and and stuff like that but uh yeah it's it's things coaching wise are only going to improve and we have a really, really, really good for right now coaching staff with, you know, um, with Coach Beamer, with Coach Gundy, Coach Beatenbaugh, just some world class coach. Like our head, the Cowboys want our head coach. The Texas wants our head coach. Uh, yeah. Um, oh God, that's right. Which that's a. That's maybe we've run this one into the ground. This might be a good segue into our take a laps for the week, Bobby. I was, I was. Let's hand out game balls first. Oh yeah, let's do, let's do game balls first. All right, so let's just start. Like, like circle back to the offense. Uh, Ty, you go first. Who's your game ball? Uh, I gotta go with Stogner for my uh, offensive game ball. He out there catching those two tough touchdown passes, the first two to to spark the comeback. Obviously, you know the drive had worked us down there but Stogner is the one that I'm going to stay deserves the offensive game ball because you guys knew I wasn't going to give it to Hertz yeah no uh interesting stat line two receptions eight yards two touchdowns yeah that's simple effective gotta love it um well this is this is a tough one I'm just I'm gonna kind of like I was kind of thinking about doing this as well um I'm just going to give it completely to the uh, the youth movement of, of OU. All of, all of the wide receiving core really just, you know, stepping up and, you know, showing out in CeeDee Lamb's uh, absence has, you know, was very incredible. Um, you know, we, we, we went on a segment about this earlier, praising Stogner, praising Weiss, you know, Hazelwood. Um, I mean, it was absolutely incredible. Uh, Charleston Rambo had a great game as well, but that yeah. receiving the, the receiving core made a difference. Um, uh, I'm definitely not going to give it to Hertz, uh, so I'm just going to give it to really just kind of the whole core. Um, <laughs> All right, so well, I went first with the offense, so you can you can go first with your defensive pick. It is Nick Bonito, 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 <laughs> Bonito, 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 Bonito. What a great game from him. Uh, uh, redeemed himself for dropping that first one, uh, first reception. Then got went right back at it. Ball hawked another uh, pick. That was incredible. Yeah. Uh, um, well, you but... know what Charlie Brewer always says. What's that? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, I'll just throw it right back to you. <laughs> I've heard some interesting uh, stories about Charlie Brewer this weekend from informed people uh, from about him. Within about him at a. About him at a certain bar named Scruffy's and, you know, issues with the bathroom that, you know, hey, you know, Baylor doesn't want to talk about. But anyway, <laughs> let's just say let's just say remember to pull up your pants when you uh, leave a restroom. Uh, anyways, <laughs> who's, your, who's your defensive game ball? 
Oh, uh, so I'm, mine's going to go to Alex Grinch for making those adjustments. Uh, I mean, you can't, like, to, to take them from scoring, like, every other play to 69 yards in an entire half, that's, that's schemes right there. And it's got to go to Grinch, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. He he definitely changed that game with the schemes and, you know, really giving guys like Kenneth Murray, you know, opportunities to make plays. Uh, honorable mention, I'm going to go with Ronnie Perkins. Three sacks. Uh, that's huge. Uh, the, the defensive line has been making a massive impact, but a huge, honestly, a absolute uh, pleasure to watch. You know, we haven't had a good D-line since 2014 or 13, really. Um, yeah. Perkins has been a revelation as a sophomore, very incredible play from him. And really the, the ability to create pressure on the defensive line was something that was sorely missed against K-State and Iowa State, and it was good to have it back. Yeah, it's, that's absolutely crucial because like, like we always talk about, our linebackers are probably the biggest asset on this defense. And if the D-line can't, get pressure on their own reliably then to get pressure you have to remove the linebackers from being able to make plays elsewhere and dedicate them exclusively to that and when the d-line can reliably get pressure on their own um then we can enable our our best athletes defensively i think to really fly to the ball and make the plays where it needs to be made so definitely i think that's a yeah yeah. So Let's, what about uh, take a laps? Yeah, we need to send some laps. Uh, <laughs> just not, not just for Baylor, but for uh, the college football world as a whole. Um, I'm just going to start it out right now. Uh, oh, where to start with Baylor? Oh, my gosh. There, there's several Baylor people who need to take laps. Let's just all of them. None of them learned their lesson. They're some of the most arrogant people like fans I have ever seen. For such a Christian university, they really like to uh, chirp at it. Um, let's just start with the let, let, let's just start with the invocation. From the second they got on the field, their uh, pastor ended his pregame prayer with "Sikkim Jesus," which is just one of the most preposterous, misunderstood things I've ever seen. Um, from an organization, from from a from a school who doesn't understand, you know, how to be good people for the most part. And they're really, they're really not fooling anyone that they're just, I'm not going to get too into it, but I'm just saying, compare that with, you know, the, I'm not going to say over the line, but the more aggressive than usual, uh, um, graphics of, you know, the schooner tipping over, which by the way, that, uh, that happened at 28 to three, um, and never, and things did not go well for Baylor after that. Uh, to you know, just kind of that you know they had an okay boomer video. They just were a little spicier than you would expect out of uh, just they kind of what 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 they're trying to portray is you know nice good school that's redeem on the redemption. I'm not offended. I'm just saying, Baylor, chill out. You're not that good. Take some laps. I'm just saying, all of y'all, just chill out. Act like normal people. Take a lap. <laughs> All right. Well, so first to start, this is not my take a lap, but uh, I have on good authority, and there's a fair amount of evidence to back up the fact that this is probably a fairly valid claim. But I have on good authority that Jalen Hurts was actually a huge fan of Sikkim Jesus and wishes that OU would do something similar at our games. Um, which I will I will back that up with the caveat that. Hertz has been known to travel around Norman and, and OKC and visit different churches and try to give like guest speeches and stuff about like faith and everything. So I don't see it as unrealistic at all that Hertz was actually a fan of Sikkim Jesus. Do with that information what you will form your own opinions based off of that. But okay, let's get into take a lapse. Today, my take a lap goes to college football fans of the internet. So first and foremost, the biggest take a lap is to message boards fans from the University of Texas. I'm sorry, Chris, but you guys can't go from talking shit on Lincoln Riley 
to losing to Iowa State and then having multiple people messaging that maybe we should try to go after Lincoln Riley, <laughs> which is just absurd to me that you're going to think that this man that has turned down a, basically a blank check from the Cowboys at this point is going to say, oh, you know what? Let me take a, an extra million dollars from Texas and go down there, abandon this like beautiful system that I've built and adopt a perennial four-loss team and see what I can do down there while also every year having to play twice against this giant powerhouse system that I have built. And that's it's only like, if you figure it out and get to the championship, which they can't even do on a, just a decent year for the yeah, Big 12. Best case scenario, he's having to play four years of his work. Like, it's not, that's not, that doesn't make any sense. If money was a motivator, then he'd be at the Cowboys or he'd be discussing that. Like, it's, it's ridiculous to think. Um, we're we're yes. we're we are so close to breaking them down. They also, went from Lincoln Riley's too, too Lincoln's too green, Lincoln soft. You know, oh, it's just Bob Stoops' guys, and now they're they've run out of things to say, so they just want him. Yeah, and then say like Texas fans with the Urban Meyer thing. If he comes back into coaching, Texas is not going to outbid USC. I like they're just not. I know that Texas has huge money there, but. Like it's it's a matter of who has their back against the wall more, and USC is way more of a cornered, hungry animal than Texas is. Um, and I just don't, I don't think it would be a good fit for Urban. I don't, I don't think it's realistic to assume that that Urban Meyer would go to Texas at all. Yeah, um, I, I'm just saying the last thing you can. Like, I don't know why anyone would think they'd have job security after Texas immediately abandoned ship on another. Like, another coach they thought would turn around the program. Yeah. So, second, people of the internet take a lap. Texas gets the big one. But I'm going to have to throw OU fans in there, too. It's yeah. It's just been an absolute dumpster fire online. It, and you know what? It probably is every week, but we've had some big events. And it's just been a dumpster fire showing of OU fans um, this week. Like, you got people trying to come out here and attack like barstool Sooners saying that, you know, you're not a true fan when they're just tweeting stats. From Hertz. <laughs> like they're like, you are saying he wasn't doing good in the first quarter. Don't try to act like he's a legend. Like they tweeted something about him being garbage in the first quarter. And then they tweeted that he's like cemented himself in history with the biggest comeback and all these like people from more, and like <laughs> and stuff are jumping on some like college kid that runs the Barstool Sooners account saying that they've probably never even been to a game and they're not a true fan. I used to ridiculous. And then, you know what? We're going to throw OU players in there too. Like you guys need to quit trying to chirp online. Like it's, I just read the most ridiculous stuff from, from some of the players and it's, it's just absolutely ludicrous. And like, you're not fooling anyone that goes to OU. I know there's this whole cult of, like, grown adults that worship these players because they live in, like, rural Oklahoma and they don't understand, like, the level of stupidity that, like, just exists in the OU locker room. But anyone that has been to OU or any OU student can tell you that these players are just they're not everything that they're cracked up to be like, you can't be complaining that people are complaining about your play when you were literally at the bars hours before the game drunk. Like, come on guys. Like it, you're not fooling anyone. People see you. And it's just stuff like that is just ridiculous. Or like you, you guys can't be complaining like that. People are upset that you guys are celebrating barely beating Iowa state when Everyone saw you guys partying after losing to K-State, acting like nothing happened. So, like, it's stuff like that. It It's ridiculous because I think the big thing is you can still be a fan of your, te your team and acknowledge that they're playing, like, got, like dog shit. Yeah, so like, that, that's, that's kind that's of my a, thing, I guess, is, like, people are way too attached to this team. And at the same time, there's this whole, like, cult of people 
that think that the team is just above reproach. And that's not a mentality that's conducive to success. Obviously, online discussions have no bearing on anything. I think maybe they have a slight bearing on the players because they all read the stuff. Um, but, yeah, you can't be upset that people are criticizing your team when it's very justified. Like, it's not like trolling takes and stuff. Like, this is – there's some ridiculous stuff out there. Yeah. I mean, there's a difference between saying your team is bad and giving up on them, you know. like Yeah. I, shout out to shout out to a longtime uh, friend of, of the pod. He doesn't know who we are, but Texags user rendered fat. Uh, <laughs> he's given up. Wonder what he's up to nowadays. I don't know, but it's not A&M football. He'll probably get him hooked. In, in July of next year, he'll get hooked again and be fully bought into A&M, but... He might even uh, give like claim them an extra national championship. You never know. Yeah, but... <laughs> he's, he's digging through the record books right now. I read the numbers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just like that. That's the thing is like I look. I'm gonna be honest. At halftime, met up with a couple of a uh, couple of my friends who travel around and do stuff. Uh, shouts to Ben and Michael, uh, and we talked. We we roasted that team. But you know what? I stayed. I they stayed. Yeah, they they did deserve it, but you know what? I still I cheered. I still did all the stuff you you know you do as an OU fan. If you're if you're up, if you're down, you know I stuck with them, and you know I always, I'm always going to stick with OU, but I'm still going to roast them if they're terrible. That's just that's just that's just being a rational fan. Yeah, and, and like I like to think that people like if you do it if you if you're going to say something online, you have to be willing to do it in person, and I say this. Because I have told multiple people to their face that they are ass. <laughs> I haven't told. Well, okay. So the only person I've told to their face that they're absolutely ass has been Trevor Knight, who was fucking ass. <laughs> uh, he was absolute garbage. Fuck that guy. Um, oh man. <laughs> but I've told, like, I have told. Uh, you know. I remember that. That's funny. I've told a starting linebacker on this team that he was not playing good. I've told multiple receivers that, hey, dude, what the hell's going on? So. Like, I, I'm consistent. If you guys want to follow me around and watch me talk shit to the players, can. But, yeah. If you're not going to say shit to their face, then don't say it online either. Exactly. Just be, you know, be authentic no matter what you are. Don't don't, don't be a damn coward. But yeah. <laughs> don't be a coward. That's a lesson Anyways. to take today. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much all, all we have for um, – for this week, at least with Baylor, uh, we'll we'll do our TCU preview later and everything. But uh, is there anything else you want to say before we wrap this up? Just the listeners, prepare yourselves now for the shit that Blake is going to try to pitch to you. Uh, it's going to be ridiculous. I'm already telling you, don't believe anything he says. Don't listen to any of his picks. He was a diehard Baylor fan last week. Now he's going to be a diehard TCU fan. What is he? I don't know. I, I literally saw him switch back and forth in the in the matter of fifteen minutes, but we'll see. <laughs> Either Did way, he have his TCU jersey on under the Baylor sweater? No, well, he didn't have it under, but he, it's like he watched the TCU game in his uh, Jalen Rager, you know, uh, the red and purple Raptors one, yeah. and then and then game ended, and then the game ended. He walked over and he put on a Sailor Bear sweatshirt, just ready to go. <laughs> Yeah, he's. He, it's all good though. It's all good. I'm. Uh, you know, when I'm just saying, when um, it, it's not like it's not like rooting for a team that you have no allegiance to. If you're rooting for a team that is paying you money to go there, I'm just saying that's probably okay. Got to be some sort of violation. I'm. I'm just saying they're the legal benefits for Baylor you know, paying for fans to be good at school. They it's can't terrible. even fill out their tiny stadium, so they're paying for fans. That's it, you, 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 man. The state of the NCAA this, these days—that's <laughs> you just hate to see it. Well, anyways, we will anyways. see. <laughs> anyways, we'll see you in a couple days when we talk TCU. We're going to talk picks later. Uh, stay tuned to that. Uh, if you want to see that, you know, subscribe to all of our channels, all that sort of thing. But until then, we will see you soon. Uh, and uh, just keep just just keep holding on until uh, Saturday. It's kind of sad that we finally have our last home game. That's gonna be a bit of a bummer, but you know, hey, at least it's at seven. You get the whole day to enjoy it.
yeah, it'll be fun. Nothing but night games for the rest of the way, except for the Big 12 Championship. So enjoy the rest of the ride. No matter, no matter, yeah. No matter how the game, the season goes, just enjoy, soak up all the football you can get. Because at the most, we only have four games left, and that's probably not even going to happen. So just take all this football you can get, oh. soak up every moment, the good, the bad, the the tailgates, just all of it. Because it's gonna be, yeah. it's gonna be over before you know it, and then we're gonna be have to having to be watch watching basketball. So I have a special PS before we cut. Uh, Iowa State beating Texas completed the Big 12 circle of suck. Uh, so the Big 12 also has a circle of suck now. So that's nice. Yeah, it, it just it it makes us strong. The cir- <laughs> you live, the circle makes us strong. <laughs> but um, <laughs> anyways, well, that's all I got to say um, for uh, me and Ty. Thank you so much for listening uh, this week, and we'll have more content out for you later. And uh, but until then, boomer sooner, boomer sooner, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think that's how we need to end every pod is.